everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. This week, we offer some insights on dealing with the medical issues we mentioned in our previous episodes. It's a serious subject, but a topic we think is important. But before we get started, I think Randy has a codger of the week for us. Well, I do, sort of. It's actually an honorary codgerette of the week. This is somebody that the three of us know now. Her name is Jen Molson, and she works as a reporter for the Colorado Springs Gazette. This morning, we were notified that our story, the Camp Codger story, was printed in the Gazette, which is a real thrill. And not only was it a great story, Jen managed to capture the spirit of the show. I applaud her for that. She doesn't know us, but she interviewed us via a Zoom meeting, and we got a chance to talk for a while, and she actually got the chance to see how we record this podcast quite often. For her efforts and for her willingness to delve into the issues of three guys who are sharing their experiences getting older, I want to honor her as Honorary Codgerette of Huzzah, the huzzah. Excellent. I share your your enthusiasm. Jen, thanks a lot. We really appreciate it, and it was a fun discussion. A couple of weeks ago, we were set up to record an episode on the best bands of the 60s. We were all good to go when I received a text message from Randy. I'm in the hospital and can't record today. You know, my first response was, whoa, the hospital? A comment like that really gets your attention especially since Richard had also told me about a medical matter he had been dealing with. It was clear that a recording session was off, which was fine. The health of the old codgers is far more important than another podcast episode. Fortunately, Randy was out of the hospital and back to normal in a couple of days, so he and I were able to cobble together another recording session. And Richard was feeling good enough to head out on a road trip to Santa Fe. Good news all around. We all laugh about how quickly dinner table conversations among old folks turn to organ recitals or ills and pills. It's natural. I don't know anybody in our group of friends of our age who isn't dealing with some sort of medical issue. We're just getting older. How we handle those challenges is another matter. This week, Randy and Richard share with our listeners what happened to them a couple weeks ago. By the way, Please don't take anything we say as medical advice. We're not doctors. Mm. We're just old guys relating their real-life experiences as we try to negotiate with our aging bodies for another few years of good health. So, all is well. Almost. Just hearing about events like this can't help leaving you feeling just a bit more vulnerable. Experiencing them is another story altogether, as Richard and Randy will tell us. Randy, Tell us about your visit to the emergency room a couple weeks ago. And I say that cringing because ER visits are never pleasant. At least they haven't been in my experience. Well, when I think of all the places I want to go and I list them in order, ER is not on the list. It's not on your bucket list? It never makes (laughs) – it is not on the list of places I'd like to go to before I die – It's never on the list. So when you hear that I went to the ER, it's a big deal. Or as we sometimes say, it's Mm, a BFD. It's a BFD. 
If you don't know what that means, look it up. It's on the internet. Must be true. <laughs> That's right. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the ER and I did not plan it. Nobody, I don't know that anybody plans a visit to the ER, but when it's time to go, it's time to go. And I hope that's one of the messages of this show as you folks uh, listen to Richard and me. When it's time to get medical attention, it's time to do it. Don't procrastinate. I got to admit though, I procrastinated for a little bit of time because my issue was chest congestion, chest discomfort, chest, not pressure, but just you know, a a nagging feeling of constriction in my chest, right in the middle. But it wasn't painful. It never was painful. I told my wife about it, and I didn't want to make a big deal about it, but I didn't go into the uh, ER right away because it never felt like an ER situation. I think you had a good reason to go to the ER because of prior experiences, right? Well, sure. You know, uh, four and a half years ago, I had a full-blown heart attack, the kind that stops you in your tracks no matter what you're doing. Forget your plans. Your plans just changed. You got to do something about it right now. One of the most painful things I've ever experienced, it really felt like I had an elephant sitting on my, on the middle of my chest. You hear a lot about symptoms of heart attack. It's a common list, but not everybody gets all the same symptoms. Mine was just real intense pain and a real intense pressure. What I was experiencing a couple of weeks ago was like 5% of that. It didn't register in my brain that this was a a life-threatening emergency situation. But after a day and a half of it and talking about this with my lovely wife, who is a nurse and who's very well-equipped to deal with this kind of situation, she convinced me that, you know, you should go get checked. And the reality is, folks, if you're having an issue that doesn't even seem like it's a an ER issue, sometimes you have to go to the ER because you can't get in to see your doctor. I called my cardiologist. Once you've had a, a heart attack, you're a cardiology patient for the rest of your life. My cardiologist could see me in three months. Well, that wasn't going to cut it. The only way I was able to to go in and find out what was going on was to go to the ER. So you were a bit reluctant to go. You decided with Patty's help that it was time to go. How did it go once you got there? I knew the symptoms were heart-related. That's why I was there. It didn't really feel like I had an emergency going on, but by golly, it was time to have it checked. I went in and I, I said, I'm having heart pains, and I was in that next little room over from the waiting room before my butt could hit the <laughs> seat of, of the, the main wow. waiting room. We're laughing, but it's not funny, but it is funny because my wife did the same thing to me. She convinced me that I was going to go to the ER. I settled on urgent care as the first stop. Got to urgent care and they said, heart pains? Ah, sorry, dude. We don't want anybody dying on our watch. So they (laughs) sent us across the street to the hospital. We got to the hospital and B, also being a nurse, basically said, heart pains, Zippo. You're hooked up to an EKG before you even sit down. So- Hanging out in the ER. The first thing that they shuttled me off to the little room where they got the EKG machine. This was a relatively new ER. They've got a whole room for the heart patient track. And literally the next door over is the EKG room. So I get hooked up for an EKG. Lo and behold, my EKG test looks <laughs> fabulous. There's nothing wrong on the test. 
There's absolutely no reason for any of us to be worried at that point, right? But I got to tell you, medical people, given the resources they have and the amount of tests they can do, it seems like there's always another test, especially when it comes to something like a heart situation or something that could be life-threatening. I thought I was going to go in for an EKG. It was going to be fine. And then I would, I'd be at the door in, you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> Wrong. There were tests that they wanted to. And I willingly went along with it because, you know, let's face it, that's why I was there. I was there to find out what the heck is going on. So what happened next? You went through a battery of tests. Yeah, I did blood tests. And, and unfortunately, then I got kind of into the, the ER system meaning there's a lot of waiting time in between Boy. tests and in between, you know, going from one thing to the next. So they knew what they were doing. It's just that I was not the only person there. They, they said from the get-go that, boy, it's, a, it's an unusually busy Thursday afternoon. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure did take a long time. I got blood tests that came back pretty good, but not perfect. There was a particular mark that's indicative of a heart event. I had a little bit of that in my system, but not enough to say, absolutely, you're having a heart situation right now. Got shuttled to another room, and then they, they realized we should probably give you a stress test. So they didn't send you home. Really? Oh, absolutely not. not <laughs> they, they did not. And at that point, I, I was like, oh, man. This is not going the way I wanted it to. <laughs> going to the ER is usually not something you can plan out and schedule. No, absolutely not. I'm I'm hopeful, right? And I'm hopeful in the same way that most people are hopeful when they get to the ER. It's like, this is not going to be as bad as it seems right now. Well, maybe and maybe not. I have the utmost respect for medical people. And when I put myself in the position of you know, asking for their help and their advice and their expertise, I'm inclined to follow it. So I waited for the next test. And you got the next test in, went home, right? Mm, that's a real short version of the story. I got the next test the next day because in order to schedule me for a stress test, they had to keep me overnight for observation, which no. was not fun. But Here's another thing about the ER. ER patients get to jump the line for certain tests and certain procedures. So by me staying overnight meant I got the stress test the next morning. If I'd have called in to the hospital to get that test, it would have happened in three <laughs> to six months. That's how booked up that particular little testing facility is. So a lovely night in a, the luxury accommodations of your local hospital. Mm. A good workout right. the next morning on a treadmill. I remember the nuclear stress test having had one after my night in the hospital. Lovely altogether, right? Well, I thought I was going to get on a treadmill and do an old-fashioned stress test. And instead, I had the nuclear test through an IV. They, they pump some sort of chemical substance or something that makes your heart go. Then they hmm. can track it. Really? Because you've also got a nuclear tracer in your blood. Without getting technical, that came back to the point where nobody knew exactly what was going on with me. And ultimately, after talking to nurses, physician assistants, one doctor, and then an actual cardiologist, I was allowed to go home. The best thing that happened in this entire 
experience. I mean, it was a, it turned out to be pretty much 24 hours in the ER. The cardiologist and I had one of the best discussions I've ever had with a medical person. He talked to me as a, an educated human being who knew what was going on and was able to be part mm-hmm. of the decision-making process. And he said, you know, we could go in the same way we did four and a half years ago and clean out your arteries, poke around and find out what's going on in there. Or you can just take care of yourself. You can put yourself on a much stricter heart-healthy diet and see if we can clear this up. I chose the heart-healthy diet approach. I know I can do this. I've done it for years. It's only lately that I've been tempted by double cheeseburgers. (laughs) (laughs) The bottom line was I got a chance to kind of have a wake-up call. I'm taking this as an opportunity to do a better job of taking care of myself. I have the medical folks to thank for that. I'm taking the responsibility for my own health in the way I think I should have all along. And it also sounds like you've got a wonderful wife who is monitoring you very closely as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) When Nurse Nancy's in the room, you're always under observation. Yeah. Well, sure. It's a good thing. It's no, no, it's a, you know, everybody should live with a nurse. <laughs> and one of the things I've relearned is, man, the normal American diet may not be that healthy. Oh, you really? Know, it just might not. <laughs> and, what, and what planet have you been living on, Randy? <laughs> it just might not be that oh, healthy. Gee, what a surprise. So it sounds like, from what you're saying, it could have been a false alarm. You're sitting around feeling uncomfortable. Maybe it was something happening, maybe not. But it sounds like you're glad you went to the ER. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, one of the reasons I felt as bad as I did, even though I didn't feel that bad, was my mind started taking over. It's like I'm starting to stress myself out. It's like, oh, no, I don't want something bad going on. And my own body was making the symptoms worse. That's Mm. another Mm. takeaway for me. Not to the point where I'm not going to go back to the ER when I need to, but I'm going to be a little more aware of what's going on. Sounds like it was worth it. Richard, you've been dealing with a miserable medical issue. Tell us about it. Well, Gary, I've had not one but two bouts of kidney stones in the past year. I can tell you it is not fun. Some people say it's like the birth giving process. I'm not going to claim it's that painful. (laughs) Some people who told me that were women, in fact, but probably not close, but it was enough. Delivering a baby and passing a kidney stone. Well, some of Um, the kidney stones were pretty good size. I I understand. We're just just teasing you, Richard. In any case, I was doubled over in pain by this thing and didn't actually know what it was at first. I am so resistant to going to doctors and ERs, as Randy says, not at the top of my list to to visit, that I had to be persuaded to go uh, to the ER by my wife, Allison, and her really good friend, Lori. They just stomped on me to get myself to the ER. It was Lori who dropped me off at the ER in Pasadena because Allison had her own older age issues. She's an inveterate runner who had fallen during a run at that time and was utterly immobilized, bedridden by four fractures. So Lori drops you off at the ER. You're sitting there. What happened next? Well, I don't have Randy's magic. I didn't grab my chest. 
I didn't say heart. Unfortunately, I grabbed my lower abdomen, which doesn't get any attention at all. They said, go over there and sit down. Uh, so I was in the ER for six and a half hours, just incredibly mm. uncomfortable. The only consolation of this was this really nice young guy sitting in the next chair. And he had the same pain in the same place. We became blood brothers, so to speak. E ER <laughs> e friends. ER friends. Oh boy, it's a great place to make friends. It turned out that we distracted ourselves for hours by talking about sports, by talking about the movies, anything to get our mind off of what was killing us. He ended up getting called before I did. It turned out he had appendicitis and they operated on him. My question is, what happened to age before beauty? I'm still sitting there alone. He's gotten taken <laughs> care of and he's 26 years old. Yeah. Is this, Richard, is this fair? Not right. This is Richard. not fair. This is not fair. When you're old and ugly, <laughs> there's no hope. Oh, you, it was, yeah, yeah, right. Old and ugly. Oh boy. Old That's a tough ugly. one. You resisted going to the ER. You're like most guys, right? I think. And a lot of women too. They, you know, nobody really wants to go to the ER as much as we love the people who are taking yeah. care of us. It's and just, we trust them at some point, but you just, it's oh, such an uncomfortable place. And come on, folks, you're sitting in an ER with a whole bunch of other people who are sick, who are unhealthy, who have broken this or hit that or whatever. They're all having all having a grin. Yeah, I was going to say too, it's a, smiling and laughing and cheering. It's a, and welcome to here the, I am in the ER, the College of Misery. That's what it is. The point there is that my resistance almost got me in big trouble. The way my body was bulked up, it couldn't process anything, and yet I didn't want to go. I have been in the ER several times in my young years, but it was only for sports or activity accidents. It was not for anything kind of like this. So it had been 70 years, really, since I'd been to the ER for a condition as opposed to an injury. So you'd been to the ER before because I remember talking about it. That was in Chicago, right? That's right. In the past few years, I have been in the ER, and especially for an earlier, again, resistant trip in Chicago that turned out to be a stroke, a real live stroke. I put it off to a bad night's sleep and, was and told Allison, I'm just going to go back to bed for a couple hours. And she stood tall and said, no, you're not. I've never seen you look like this. I've never heard you complain like this. You're going to urgent care. We went to urgent care. It took them, I don't know, six minutes to say, you've had some kind of event and we can't deal with you. It's like Gary said, we're shuffling you off to the ER. Allison said, I'll drive you there. The person said, nope, you're not driving him. He's got to go in an ambulance. So I went in an ambulance to the ER and had, in Chicago, at Northwestern Medical Center, a spectacular experience. Every person that served me, I was there overnight. They were wonderful, just wonderful. Did you take the right lesson from that? Go to the ER when you're not feeling that good? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I trust myself even now. I don't know. I, am so, I don't know what it is in my constitution that resists this. I know I won't be able to resist it. I, I thought at the time, both times, both this time with the kidney stones and the time with the stroke, what if I'd been alone? What if I hadn't been in this wonderful relationship with Allison? I would have stayed home. And what would have happened then? Who knows? The lesson is to pay attention to those around you who care about you. They are observing you from a different perspective than you are yourself. And when they see something wrong and urge you to do something like that, listen and process it rightly, which I have a tendency not to do. Absolutely. That's my experience too. And that's also my takeaway. It's like, 
thank goodness for a wife who is paying attention, who loves me dearly, and is willing to fight for my mm-hmm. health, even, even in moments when that I'm really not. That is really true. They, they fight for your health, and they insist on it. You're not going to be unhealthy when you don't have to be. You know, Allison, uh, I think in this case, saved me incredible misery, both occasions. She was there for the stroke. She was there for the kidney stones. I think the point is that they often hear the organ recital a lot better than you do. Yeah, when, when it's your own organ recital, it's scary. You don't want to hear it, and you don't want to have somebody throw it back in your face, especially a, a, a doctor who knows that your excuses aren't, aren't going <laughs> to yeah. yeah. work. It is kind of interesting, the Superman complex we mm-hmm. have. We can power through anything. We can drive through anything. I take a couple of aspirin and I'll check myself in the morning. Sometimes that works. It's not a bad approach, but having the ability to make that decision, I think, is tough for most people. We would rather say no than admit that we're frail. And we all know people, they are always talking about medical things always going to medical things. They've got an appointment here, an appointment there, and a procedure here and there. It's their life. And I don't want that life. But sometimes you have no choice. It's like the neighbors you were telling us about that you asked them how many times they went to the doctor every year. And they came up with a number that I thought was stunning, 20 or 30 times. But if you have a chronic medical condition, you have to do it. That's right. You know, we have the good fortune sitting here and chatting. None of us have any uh, really serious chronic medical condition that impairs us. We can do most things as much as we want. Right. For people that don't have that that option that luxury. and are dealing with a critical medical condition, it's got to be tough. Yeah. Does anybody have anything they want to add? This has been an interesting discussion. It's not been a typical episode of Camp Codger, that's for sure. I'm glad we did this. It's an important topic. If we can get one or two people to go visit a doctor when they Mm -hmm. need to just by listening to this, uh, it was totally worth it. Please take advantage of the medical expertise that's out there. It, It really is quite available to us. And also take responsibility for keeping yourself healthy. And keep communication open with your loved ones, your family, your spouse. They see you, as we said before, from a different angle than you see yourself. Thanks, guys. Really glad you were willing to share your experiences. Me, I dodged a bullet this week, and I can tell you that all is well. (laughs) But I don't take anything for granted. As Richard and Randy's experiences remind us, we need to enjoy every day of our good health. We hope you found this episode interesting, and we'd love to hear your thoughts about how you manage the inevitable medical issues as we age. Leave a comment on our website at campcodger.com. Or drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com. That's campcodger, one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We apologize for running a bit long this week, but we think this is an important topic. And Randy and Richard's stories were relevant to all of us in our golden years. Join us next week when the old codgers offer their ideas for saving money. If you enjoyed this episode... Subscribe to Camp Codger on your favorite podcast app or sign up at campcodger.com. <laughs>